one thing that I think brings all of us here uh, to the summit is, and one thing that a lot of us or most of us have in common, is a commitment to Jesus' prayer in John 17, where Jesus prays, let them be one just as we are one. Um, I was, a few years ago, I discovered that um, people were talking about John 17 unity, but they were thinking of um, something that's good, but maybe isn't quite what it is. And what I was hearing them say was John 17 unity is um, being in the same room, not fighting, and maybe even working together, right? So being in the same room, not fighting is great, right? Because it, <laughs> it beats the alternative. Uh, being in the same room fighting or, you know, not being in the same room. It's great to be together. It's great to not be fighting, and it's great to be working together. But Jesus' prayer in John 17, just as Ali was um, singing, is this incredible prayer that we would have union, oneness, as God the Father is one with God the Son, which is incredible, right, to think about that human beings would be one as God the Father is one with God the Son. That has about as much, that's about as close to in the same room not fighting as a campfire is to a star. I mean, it's really that far apart. <laughs> because this is this totally supernatural reality. Jesus says, I'm giving them my glory so that they may be one just as we are one. So this is not something that we can attain or achieve um, even if we're all like really well behaved, right? <laughs> if we were really good, we wouldn't quite get there. This is something where we need the Lord to release a supernatural measure of grace and glory. It's something that we wouldn't think possible. This is one of those things Paul talks about, I has not heard uh, I is not, you know what I mean, yeah, not, I get that confused. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard, nor has it entered into the hearts of men. And we would not have thought this was something God was going to do, right? We wouldn't read the Old Testament even and, and then think, oh, I think God is going to make us one as the Father is one with the Son. But this is something that didn't enter into our hearts, but Jesus reveals and prays for on his way to the cross. And uh, as I've said many times, Jesus gets what he prays for. Amen? So, so part of what we're here today to do is to um, strategize and scheme in a holy way, um, to, to talk together, to learn from each other um, in faith, believing this is something that the Lord is going to have in his church before Jesus returns, that the, the church, the global body of Christ is going to be one as the Father and Son are one, because Jesus gets what he prays for. And we're here just in faith, believing that, recognizing, you know, what we have in our hands is not going to get us there, but asking the Father to release, um, release a measure of grace that would take us to that place in our cities and in, in the cities of the earth and around the globe. So that's really a, a big motivator for, for us and, um, yeah, that's a lot of what motivates 10 days. Um, I'm just going to share a little bit 
about 10 days. If you have your, your folder, um, and if you didn't get one, you can just hop out and see Zaim and he'll give you one. But the first document there, it says, what is 10 days? Um, since this is the, the 10 days summit, I know a lot of you have done 10 days, um, but not everyone has. And so I just wanna start by um, you know, giving a little in introduction to this vision, um, which is really, ultimately, it's a strategy to see Jesus get the answer to his prayer. That's, that's what's behind this, just to kind of, you know, pull the curtain back and reveal a little bit. That's really what's, what's behind. That was the um, instigating factor for this vision. Um, and then we're going to spend a lot of time not just talking about 10 days and how to do 10 days, but talking about different things that are part of the value system, things that God wants to do, different focuses, and we'll have different people presenting that. And then we're also, during this time, going to hear from a number of different strategies that are also John 17 strategies that are complementary. Because, you know, if you do 10 days, great. Okay, you, you, you've still got 355 days left of the year. And so we know that this is, a <laughs> this is not a silver bullet to what God wants to do, but it's part of a rhythm that God wants to establish and a pattern that he wants to establish in the church. So what is 10 days? Um, 10 days is, first of all, it's a set-apart season to seek God's face with mourning, fasting, and repentance. Um, when I first encountered the Lord about this vision, it was in 2004, and he spoke these words to me. He said, Babylon refuses to mourn, but my people will mourn before I return. So this is a set-apart time for us as the people of God to unite and to mourn to fast, to repent. I was like, God, what do you want me to do? He said, call my people to 10 days of fasting, mourning, and repentance from Rosh Hashanah to Yom Kippur, uh, or the day of trumpets to the day of atonement, which creates a 10-day time period, which is why it's called 10 days. Um, just a little note on the setting. Um, these fall feasts um, are part of the seven feasts of the Lord that God instituted in uh in the, in the book of Leviticus. There's seven different feasts. And if you study these feasts, it's really cool because there's four that happened kind of close together in the spring, and there's three that happened kind of close together in the fall. So uh, Rosh Hashanah, or the Day of Trumpets, the, also the, known as the, the beginning of the civil uh, new year, um, and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, are the fifth and sixth, and then the seventh is the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot. And... Um, the cool thing is the spring feasts prophetically point to um, the first coming of Jesus, right? We all know that, right? We've all gone to, to church on Easter Sunday, and it's a celebration of, or, 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 you know, Good Friday, the death of Christ, a celebration of the Passover, right? He's the Passover lamb. We get that. Um, Easter, the Sunday after um, the Sabbath after Passover, is known as the Feast of First Fruits. Well, Jesus is, is the first fruits from the dead. It's pretty cool. Like he, it, he literally intentionally fulfilled these feasts on the day of them. That's pretty amazing, right? The, the Colossians says that the feasts are shadows of things to come, but the substance is Christ, right? So we recognize these things are shadows, but we recognize they're pointing to the substance who is Christ. On the day of Pentecost, what happened? The Holy Spirit was poured out. 
Pentecost was a celebration of the giving of the law. It was also a celebration of the first harvest. So what happened? There was the new law given, the law that's written on your heart, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. And also, 3,000 were saved. What happened at the giving of the law? 3,000 were killed, if you remember the story. So it's this incredible parallelism that Scripture is, is speaking to us um, between the feasts, or, or the feasts are this incredible symbolic, prophetic uh, picture. And so the reason we're focusing on these fall feasts is that we're looking forward to the return of the Lord. We don't know exactly how God is going to fulfill these feasts at, at the second coming, but I think we can pretty reasonably assume that they're very significant to what's going to happen when Jesus returns, based on what we've seen with the spring ones. So, uh, 10 days is an annual rhythm. It's not a one-off thing, but it's meant to be something that becomes a pattern for your citywide church, a, a pattern of coming together. You know, we need times of gathering and, and separating, gathering and separating. And so this is, this is a time of gathering together. We've seen cities now and different states even have a consistent strategy to do 10 days for six, seven years in a row now, which is really exciting, really cool to see that beginning to happen. But it's just become normal. Um, I remember the first time this occurred to me, <laughs> I was up in Manchester, New Hampshire, and they had been doing 10 days for a couple years, and I was there for the final night. And the, the husband of the woman who organized the event, um, he took me and was like, I think he was paying for me to get gas, which was great. I was like, thanks. And he's like, see you next year. And I was like, hmm, cool. This is starting to happen. <laughs> People are getting it. This is an annual rhythm. And, uh, and it was just so natural, and, but spoke to me like, oh, yeah, we're going to do this next year. Yes, that's it. That's what we're trying to do. Um, Ten days happens in many places at the same time. So what we don't want is, um, you know, oftentimes I'll go places and people will be like, well, are you going to come here during 10 days? And I'm like, probably not, because I can only be one place at a time, and that's not really the vision. It's not to host meetings. The vision is for the John 17 network of relationships in your city or in your state or in your country to be partnering together and that we're hosting something in all at the same time. So we're connecting in the spirit, but we're in many places geographically. Um, it's kind of like a global upper room, just like what happened before Pentecost, the 10 days leading up to Pentecost. But this time it's not just in Jerusalem, right? Because the church has grown a little bit. It's more than 120 people now. It's the global church coming together during these days of awe, um, in a, but in a similar kind of context. Um, 10 days is decentralized organizationally, but connected relationally. So we're not trying to, um, as sort of an uh, international movement, we're not trying to micromanage what you do in your city. It's, it's, um, but rather, we're looking for who are the people in a given place who God has put grace on them to be able to mobilize within a citywide level for prayer, um, who are those key leaders? And then we want to connect relationally with those people, and we want to be friends, <laughs> right? I don't want to tell Phil how to do 10 days in Denver, but I definitely want to be Phil's friend, right? I mean, for one thing, like, I don't have enough ideas, you know, but Phil has tons of ideas for Denver. I don't have ideas for Denver, 
I just like going there because I like to look at the mountains. But it just works better that way, right? That's how it works best. That's how local church works best is when you don't have, con- you don't have controlling leadership. But there's just some, some guidelines, and then the local leadership is taking charge. And that's what we want to see happen. We want to really empower local leaders and then stay connected um, nationally and globally so that we can um, receive from one another, just like Matthew was sharing. Um, 10 days is organized by geography. Um, so it's not primarily a local church thing. You can do it in your local church, but it's primarily for the church in a region. Could be a state, a nation, a city. If it's in a rural area, it could be a county or a township. It doesn't matter. We use the language citywide as just a shorthand for that concept of the church as organized by geography. And when you read the New Testament, right, that's what you see over and over. It, it's not to First Baptist Church of Corinth, right? It's a letter to the church in Corinth, which means that there must have been some leaders, there must have been an address that they could send that to. So we're looking for who are people that God is calling to be leaders, elders, so to speak, in the church in an area, and then we're trying to connect with them and say, hey, 10 days is something that could help you. It could help to build up this citywide expression of the body of Christ, which leads me to the next point. It's for citywide churches. So that, once again, that's a shorthand. It could be a statewide. It could be a nationwide. Um, but, but it's for churches in a certain geographical region, which we understand is the way Scripture talks about the church. And then there's many local expressions that are all part of the, of the whole. Does that make sense? I think it makes sense. All right. <laughs> um, there's this uh, idea, the, the vision of 10 days... Uh, A key part of it was the Lord showed me a city that had stopped everything for 10 days. Can you imagine that happening in your city? That people are not going to work. They're not going to school. Businesses literally closing down. Um, School kids coming to pray, to worship. Just the whole city, believers, unbelievers, fixated on the glory and the worth of Jesus. When I had that experience, I was like, it's like the throne room in heaven was on earth in a city. And the city was inundated with the glory of God. I knew it would never be the same. I didn't realize at the time, but that glory, right, is key to John 17, because he says, I'm giving them my glory. So the expression of God in, in, in his glory is key to seeing that unity. Um, but I didn't realize that at the time, but that's what I saw. So that's what we want to see happen is see cities really stop everything uh, for 10 entire days. Um, we haven't seen that happen yet. So I just figure I'm going to keep saying it and someday it's going to happen. I don't know how, but I, I just feel like, okay, God, why would God show that to me if he, if he wasn't willing to do it? Um, so I started asking God, what are two, exa- like, give me some examples from the Bible of cities that stopped everything. And there are two examples that I could think of. One wasn't a city um, and one was, but the two examples were the upper room and the 120. So they did that for 10 days. That was a stop everything and seek God and wait and then be endued with power. I think that turned out pretty good. You know, that was a pretty good prayer meeting. 
Um, <laughs> and but you know, only 120 people, but still, that's significant. And then secondly, um, in the book of Jonah, you see a whole city stop. Right? It's it's even bigger than my vision. It was actually even the animals were getting into the morning. Right, which is pretty incredible. If you can think of cows and sheep putting on sackcloth and ashes, that's what they did. So that's a pretty powerful move of God. Not a lot of believers in the city of Nineveh. You know, it was a pretty pagan city, and yet there was this response. Um, there was this response to the preaching of Jonah. I think maybe if we were all a little more grumpy like Jonah and more reticent, Maybe, maybe we'd have more success. I don't know. I'm just, I'm like, man, this guy, <laughs> he's the most successful prophet, you know, you ever read about, and he's just mad about it. I'm like, oh, maybe I got to change my expectations, cultivate my inner grouchiness. I don't know what, what's going on. But so <laughs> my wife, don't ask my wife about that. We don't want to, we don't want to open up that. Um, but um, so that's an incredible response, isn't it? The city of Nineveh. Do you know that when Jesus was on the earth, he was looking for a particular response from Israel, and do you know that he didn't get it, right? And what did he say to Israel? He said, you know, woe to this city, woe to that city. The people of Nineveh repented at the preaching of Jonah, but one greater than Jonah is here. So the response that he got from those cities was not the response he was looking for. Isn't that interesting? And, and we know that all of Israel, really, he didn't get the response he was looking for, did he? He's still, I feel like he's still looking for that. Could we see cities respond? Maybe some will, maybe some won't. But could we see cities respond in that way? the way that Nineveh did. Even cities that we think of as, as like unreachable. Could we see that happen? I believe we can see that happen. And 10 days is a vision to see the Ninevehs of the world repent. If anybody gets the livestock, like wearing sackcloth and ashes, I'm giving like, I don't know, stars, bonus points. That, that would be amazing. But even just if we could get the people. <laughs> um, something cool, this is kind of cool. I, if you go to a synagogue, like a, a Jewish synagogue on Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is like Christmas and Easter for them. That's the day that everyone goes to synagogue, even if you're non-practicing. Um, so it's a very big day. But if you go every year, you'll hear the same scriptures read, and you will every year hear the book of Jonah being read. Isn't that cool? I had no idea about that. But that, I just felt that was a confirmation of the timing and the vision and that this is God's heart um, to see cities stop during these days, to see this massive level of repentance and, and mourning and humbling ourselves before the Lord. Um, so 10 days is driven by John 17. I really shared that. Um, that is one of the main reasons that we're doing this. There are other reasons as well, but that's one of the main reasons. And when you do 10 days... It's cool, right? I think it's a good principle that if you don't have something and it's out of your power to get it, that prayer is a good place to begin. Amen? Right? It's like, okay, I can't get this and I don't have it, 
So I'm going to ask, I mean, it just makes sense. At that point, you need to ask God. So we see, we look around, and we see we're not manifesting the fullness of what Jesus promises us in the scriptures. Like John 17 is just one example. We're not seeing the fullness of that, so we should pray, right? We should ask him, because obviously we can only get it from him. So it's, it's vertical intercession. We're asking God, do this thing that you promised to do. We're laying hold of him for it, but it's also horizontal intercession, by which I mean it's, it's interceding with human beings as well, right? Because we're not just staying alone in our prayer closet praying, God, make us one, but we're actually going out and being answers to that prayer by reaching out within our city to other believers and saying, hey, I'm going to seek the Lord. Would you come with me, right, out of Zechariah 8.23? I'm going to seek the Lord of hosts. Would you come with me? And we're laying hold of them, and we're getting them together, and then we're creating a kind of situation where the, the Spirit of the Lord can be poured out in our midst. Um, ten days is a flexible framework. So there's no one way to do it. We've seen it done in many different ways. Um, there's, there's two main things that we've seen. We've seen a single site, ten days, where everyone comes together in one location. And we've seen multi-site ten days. Um, a lot of times a single site will have 24-7 prayer or a three times a day, a morning, afternoon, and evening prayer rhythm. Single site a lot of times works better for just immersion. I think we're, we're looking for that kind of an immersive experience in the Holy Spirit. Multi-site gatherings we've seen be extremely powerful too, and, and, and that just works. It's really easy. You have 10 locations throughout the city. You might have one location that's doing ongoing prayer maybe 24-7, maybe three times a day, maybe something else. But then you have um, 10 different host locations, and those churches around the city host their night of 10 days. Um, you can do it in a small group setting. Um, you can do it in a retreat setting. You can mash all of these things together. Um, Connecticut, I'll just use Connecticut as an example. They had 10 different 10 days last year. Good job, Connecticut. Greg, where are you? Yay, Greg. So they had 10, 10 different cities, actually nine cities plus a statewide event. So they had one city that was doing a single site 24-7 model. And then they had eight or nine cities, I can't even remember, doing a multi-site model. Some of those had a gathering every single night. Some of them maybe had... Um, maybe there was a smaller area, or maybe they didn't have enough relationships or momentum, and maybe they did four or five nights. But there was this sense of consecration and devotion to prayer, and then they connected it all around the state, linking it all up. That's pretty cool. So there's so many different ways you can do this. It's definitely open source, and we want your creativity. We want your vision um, in the area that God's called you to, if that makes sense. We're really like, you know, people have asked me all the time, Jonathan, I've got this idea. Can I do it? And I'm all, I can't ever think of a time I said no. I mean, because it's not, I mean, that's just what we want to, that's what we love to see happen is we want to see those creative ideas. Can we host 10 days in a, in a business? Yes, of course. Like, just, just do it. Um, so it's a flexible framework. Um, you can have a big event as part of 10 days. You can have an evangelism focus as part of 10 days. You can have preaching. I mean, there's so many different things that you can do within a 10 days context. Because um, what you're really creating is sort of this vortex of 
you know, just the work of the Spirit and God moving. And so it's really going to accelerate everything, you know, that's of God that comes into contact with it. Um, Ten days is a strategy or a tool to see city transformation. Um, in Second Chronicles 7.14, uh, God gives this criteria, four elements of humbling ourselves, praying, seeking his face, and turning from our wicked ways. So 10 days is definitely meeting those criteria. And um, he says in response that he'll hear our prayer, he'll uh, heal our land. There's probably one more thing. Uh, but anyway, hear, hear from heaven, hear our prayer, and heal our land. And so 10 days is designed to be something that brings lasting transformation into a community. And as it becomes a rhythm, then it's something that can sustain what God is doing. It can sustain it as it happens on a consistent basis. Um, 10 days creates like a spiritual low-pressure system uh, over your city. And that uh, attracts the reign of God, the grace of God to be released. So there's this really great principle in Scripture, and it, it really works. <laughs> doesn't always work how we think, um, that if we, uh, if we want to be opposed by God, all we have to do is act in pride, right? We're guaranteed opposition from God. God will always oppose us. But if we want to receive grace from God, all we have to do is act in humility. So it's pretty easy. It's like, oh, that's a great, great thing to know. Um, I've done a few too many things in pride in my life. I just don't like getting opposed by God that much, you know? It's not as much fun. But this, this humility thing, receiving his grace, that's where, that's where our sweet spot is. And so 10 days through fasting, through mourning, through repentance, we're really just humbling ourselves. And then when you do it with a group of people, it's like it, it does. It creates a, it's like creating a low-pressure system over your city. And that just draws in the grace of God. It's, it's um, still totally under his control. It might not look like what you think, but there is an element of... Like, hey, he's going to move. He's going to respond. There's no way he's not um, to, uh, to us when we seek him like this. Um, and finally, at the heart of it, 10 days is basically just a prayer meeting. So if you've ever been to a prayer meeting or ever prayed, like it's, a ten, it's just a really long prayer meeting. And that's, that's the heart and that's the, the simplicity of what it is. Don't make it, <laughs> don't make it harder than it has to be. So I just wanted to introduce uh, the concept of 10 days um, to us as we got going. I just feel like some of you are, are newer to it and others, it's just good to kind of go over some of the basics. Um,